Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. Good afternoon, Ed and Jody. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jody. Hi, guys. Good to so, see you. I want to get two or three things quickly off my mind, and then you guys can comment on, on them if you want. The first one was something that's a general um, beef that I have, and for some reason I got set off on it last week. There's an article, or actually was a tweet from Catherine Herridge about Senator Ron Johnson writing a letter to the director of the FBI, Mr. Ray, who, uh, many of us, especially black conservative patriot have been ragging on a lot for not doing his job and being a major cover-upper, et cetera. And the letter started the honorable director, the honorable Mr. Ray. And it just hit me once again, how much I cannot stand the honorable. And it may sound petty, but I, I don't know how this country started off other than to know we did not want to have a ruling class. We didn't want to have any kind of monarchy and to me, A, this, the honorable stuff, A, is just not true. And we always, when we use it, we know it's not true half of the time. Senators use it about each other. We call judges the honorable. And second of all, I think it plays into this whole thing that we treat congressmen and big government people as different than we are rather than just our employees. So that's one thing I just want to get off my neck, get off my, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Get off your chest. There you go. Thank you so much. And two other really quickie things that I want to mention. And these are both quotes. One of them relates to what we've been talking about, the society of fear that we have, cre we have created around the pandemic. And I spoke about that, I think, last week or the week before. And um, so somebody wrote in the middle of an article in the Epic Times, he wrote, a society that has moved from, quote, pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and success of liberty, a society that's moved from that to if it saves just one's life, just one life. And I think that encapsulated beautifully my whole point um, previously about we've become a society of fear. And the other quote that I loved, which is more of a chuckle quote, but it's sad, was Daniel Greenfield wrote in Front Page Magazine on an article about COVID. Um, and this, this will only appeal to the ones of us that are over 25. The daily, the daily coronavirus reports have become the equivalent of Soviet harvest reports. They sound impressive, mean absolutely nothing, and are the pet obsession of a bureaucracy that not only has no understanding of the problem, but its grip on power has made it the problem. And I, I just have to chuckle about the old Soviet harvest reports, which were pretty much um, one of the main themes in all of 1984. So those are the three things I had to get off my chest and y'all can comment as you like or not, and we can move on. All right, well, um, you know, I'll start off, I think, I think that the last one is, is spot on. I don't have any disagreement with that. The COVID reports, I think that's a great description of them. 
it's it's what you'd expect in a dictatorship and and that's that's what the democrats have in mind and that's what they're giving us um as far as your first point which was about the honorable uh i think i have a little different take on it than you to me it's just it's a it's it's civility in politics, it's civility in culture, it's a civility in our society. And while I agree that there are a whole bunch of people that don't deserve to have a civil response given to them, I think as a presumptive measure, I think that that's, you know, I don't think that there's any, re I don't have any real problem with at least presumptively or initially calling someone the honorable, um, but that's just me. And what was the middle point that you, the, the middle one that you gave? Um the John F. Kennedy quote, we shall pay any price, bear any burden. Oh, well, I mean, it's accurate, but to me, it misses the, the whole Henry Hazlitt economics in one lesson or, or Bastiat, you know, uh, what is seen and what is unseen lesson. You know, I mean, if it saves just one life, you know, if we lowered the speed limit to five miles an hour, or if we all just started getting on horses again, it would save a lot of lives from car accidents, but it would also... The unseen part would be that we would lose a whole bunch of people who might not be able to eat because food wouldn't be able to get to market. We wouldn't be able to get medical supplies to market. You might not be able to get from, you know, a, an accident scene or, or a scene of, of uh, trauma to, to the hospital. Uh, you know, if you're just, you know, if you're waiting for a horse and riding on a horse, you know, we need an ambulance. But, you know, if you have cars, if you have ambulances, you're going to have car accidents. And, so the whole, if it saves just one life, to me, it is a dishonest way of presenting it. Not that you're dishonest, but that whole line of argument, because it's only looking at one side of the equation and it's ignoring the, the part that's unseen. And I think that these technological advances make our lives better. And I think that, you know, going to work as opposed, you know, go, you know, the whole COVID lockdown situation, if it saves one life, how many lives are being lost because... People aren't able to, to work. People aren't able to pay their pay for food. People aren't able to grow food. People aren't able to, to do the things that an industrial civilization produces in order to live and sustain people. Right. So um, the, the point of the article was that we've gone from a nation of courage to a nation of fear. And now I remember why I brought it up a week or two ago when Trump did his... Uh, almost about to wear a Superman t-shirt appearance after Corona and saying he survived. And some of that, some of us took that as a heroic show of we can beat this, but so much of the press took that as, you know, this rugged individualism, toxic, mascul toxic masculinity stuff. And I had commented how we're now so paralyzed by fear rather than being proud of being the John Wayne types full of courage. So, and I, you, you know, your point about the honorable, I definitely hear that. That's definitely the other side of it. I just, I wanted to get it off my chest. Jody. Yeah. So the honorable part, I get what you're saying and I get what Ed's saying, but it, it kind of reminds me of the mayor of Chicago uh, who basically um, was struggling with controlling the violence in you know, in Chicago over the last several months and allowing protests that would ultimately lead to violence. But once it came to her literal door on her street, she got the police to stop it at her street to protect her home and her family. And she went on TV and said to the media, I, I will not apologize for protecting my family and my home. 
And so I do think our founders, now it's one thing to be honored with a title, the honorable. It's another thing to abuse the power of that title, which I think, you know, the mayor of Chicago kind of stands as an example of. It's one thing to, it's just, it's one thing to, to, to be, you know, to, to, to garner a, a title and another thing to abuse it. And so I think that's a little bit what we're seeing. And then the whole, uh, the society of fear, I don't know if you guys watch it, but uh, there's this organization that I just found them at, at, in the beginning of COVID. They're called Unheard. It's U-N-H-E-R-D. And the unheard, as in the non, the, ab, the opposite of the herd mentality. And as far as I've seen, they're all fairly young people in the UK. They've done a really good job at getting really good interviews with physicians and scientists throughout the um, the, the world on COVID. And yesterday or when, or yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, but he did an interview with Scott Atlas, who's from Stanford and now with the Trump administration. And Scott Atlas made the absolutely spot on point when he said, the fact that we have so much fear that people are afraid to go to the doctors and they're not getting their cancer treatments. They're not getting treatments that could save their lives. We're gonna have a lot more lost lives that fear, he said, this is a monumental failure, failure of uh, our public health system around the world. The public health, uh, their job should have been to guide scientifically and as void of fear as possible. And of course, the media helped that. But that was one of the things I wanted to say. And I, Ed, I feel like you covered the if it saves just one life spot on. And I have no idea what the Soviet harvest reports are just, and I'm over 25. I still don't know. <laughs> Do you want to take care of the history part? Just over 25, but I still don't know. Yeah. I mean, they used to just make false fake reports saying that the harvest was great. It was bountiful. We've got plenty of food to feed all the peasants. But so it's like our Democrats of today and our media of today. Basically. We're going to just say what we want to say, whether it's true or not. Right. But while, the, you know, all the peasants were starving to death, but you would constantly hear on the news, it was the best harvest ever, et cetera, so, et cetera, et cetera. So, Steve, maybe it was just a small percent were starving. Most of it was peaceful. <laughs> no, most, most of the day they weren't missing meals. Right. They the only time. missed, they only most missed days, two to three meals a day. Think about it. Most days they had something to eat. That's, I like that. There we go. You could be a writer now for the mainstream media. Okay. I wanted to just pick up on one thing that Jody had mentioned, though, about, you know, following the science and, uh, you know, that our public science, you know, the public, I forget exactly how you phrased it, Jody, but. Public um, health officials. To me, I think that's one of the real crises that we face today. And that is, we we have civilian control of the military and we have civilian control of, of health, the health ministry. We, our system of government is not designed to be a dictatorship of the scientists. And yeah. in fact, that is exactly what the left wants. The left wants the scientists to put on their white robes and say that we've got climate change. Mm -hmm. They want their scientists to come on and say, we've got this COVID problem and everybody needs to stay home. And we need to resist that. That is the, one of the core problems that we have today. I, even if the science says that there's a pandemic, we do not submit ourselves 
to a dictatorship of the, of the scientists or the doctors. The doctors can inform public health officials about what's going on, but we're not supposed to follow the doctors. We're not supposed to follow the science. We're supposed to be informed by the science mm -hmm. and make decisions that are in our own best interest based on the available information that's available to us. But this whole notion that, that we're supposed to follow the science, it, it, to me, it concedes an important point to the, to the left and to the Democrats right now. And I, I, don't want to I don't want any of us to concede it anymore. I think that Trump has conceded it. I think that many good, goodwill, people of goodwill and, and who have no nefarious intent are, are unwittingly accepting that. We are, we are a free people and we're not, our, our government is not supposed to be a dictatorship even of the benevolent scientists, mm -hmm. it just isn't. And we need to push back on that and, be re and, and resist that because even if the scientists are right, okay, let us, we'll take that into account. I mean, you know, the scientists may tell us that smoking causes cancer. I'm not in favor of the government banning cigarettes. Maybe the government can, can have that information avail made available to people, maybe. I mean, that's a separate question, and I'm not, I'm not here to debate that one right now unless you guys really want to. But to me, it's one thing to get information out to people. I mean, I'm, I'm, always, sus I'm always a little suspicious of the government providing information because the government is not supposed to be telling us what's true and what's false. You know, that, that ranges dangerously close to censorship to me or, or to a to a dictatorship and a police state to me. I don't need the government to tell me what's true and what's false, what's good and what's bad. Um, I, I recognize that uh, implicit in every law is a determination that something is good and something's bad. So obviously some element of that does come into law, but um, I just think that it's up to us to, to make decisions based on the information that we have available to us. And this whole notion that, you know, whether Trump followed the science or not, it's almost like a have you stopped beating your wife get question. No matter mm -hmm. how you answer it, if you don't, if you don't just rebut the premise that we, we ought to be following the science, no matter what your answer, if he's following it or not following it, you, you lose. And, and to, debate, to debate what the science actually says while accepting that we should be following it. And I'm not saying that's what you were doing, Jody. Uh, I think that's, that's a problem that people on our side and good people are making we, it, it's not about following the science. It's about being informed by the science mm -hmm. and making your own judgments as to whether it's worth it to go to work, whether you want to stay home or if you have enough money to stay home and you don't want to worry about paying your rent or paying your mortgage, fine. Um, so, Ed, so I think that what you say, I, first of all, I agree. I think it really highlights uh, a dramatic distinction between following the science and following the scientist. And one of the things I've noticed, and I know we've talked about it before, is, is the uh, lack of tolerance for discussing the variability within the science. So you can't even have a discussion about science. Uh, so like you could have Scott Atlas debate um, Anthony Fauci, right? And they could literally debate science, but most of, most of the people in America would completely disregard the science in favor of Fauci, right? Because it's more to them about the scientist rather than mm -hmm. what does the science actually say? But even what, 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 is, what is evolving inside the actual science? And when that's taboo, you can't go there. You have to only listen to these scientists. Well, yes, I agree that the science is more important than the scientist. It's not about personalities. It's about facts and evidence and replicable data. But 
I mean, let's take an obvious or a semi-obvious example. I mean, you know, the science is pretty settled on smoking, smoking causing cancer, right? That doesn't mean that somebody can't knowingly, intelligently, and even on some level rationally decide, I don't care, I want to smoke, right? Or I want to have trans fats in my diet, or I want to have, you know, butter or sugar or whatever it is. I mean, you know, the science may even be clear, and that still is not a reason to prevent people from making choices based on that science. And, you know, I, I think that we need to push back on follow the science, follow the science. And to me, like I said, I'd rather be informed by the science. And, you know, you have knowledge and, you know, you, you make your own decisions. You know, you want to go to work? You know, do you, you know the, the, the coronavirus has a median uh, mortality age of, I think, 76, which is the same as life expectancy. So, it, you know, if you want to take the risk of, of dying from coronavirus, that should be on you. Maybe we should make sure people have some information about it. But I don't believe in scaring people. And I don't believe that, I certainly don't believe we're at a point where the government needs to step in and lock people down and prevent people from doing what they want to do. I mean, I suppose if we had a real bubonic plague, that might be a different factual, that would be a different factual situation. I don't know if my opinion would be different in that situation, but I know that's not our situation right now. Right now, it's much more akin to cigarette smoking and cancer. I mean, even insofar as the science is pretty well established and settled, it's still none of your business whether I want to choose to smoke. And, you know, just for the record, I I don't smoke, but um, that doesn't mean that I think that somebody else shouldn't be allowed to have that choice. And if, you know, people are afraid to go to work or afraid to go to the park or afraid to go to the beach or afraid to go wherever, fine. Nobody is stopping you from protecting yourself. My, we need to object to this whole notion that the scientists or the science gets to dictate everybody's choices in, in life and everybody's risk level, risk tolerance, risk aversion. It's just not right. I think so, uh, I, kind of, I kind of hear what Jody said, science, science versus scientists. And I just, I just not always go back to Atlas Shrugged. I, mean, no, I go back to Atlas Shrugged where the science minister is brought in as the expert beyond which you cannot question. And I think we're veering towards that scary part where now that I have the title, the science minister, game over. And I can even be manipulated in any direction I want. And now you guys have to back off and do what I say. Do you ever think that those books were like, you know, setting the roadmap for people? Scarily. This is how you do it. It sure looks like it at times, doesn't it? I okay, think but I was wanted, before we move on. Huh? I was just going to say, I think it was meant to be a warning, not a roadmap. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to say before we move on, that whole, if it saves just one life, how can we take that and turn it into, you know, because from what I'm hearing from many uh, valuable voices, the lives lost from lockdowns are much bigger than the lives saved or lost from coronavirus. So can you turn that on its head and say, open up if it saves just one life? Like the poverty, the rampant poverty worldwide, the the deaths from not getting treatments, the deaths from uh, suicide, the deaths from uh, poverty. Like turn that on its head and give it back to them. Well, open up if it saves just one. It's an insane argument, but the same. Well, first of all, I think the fact that 
you're not allowed to believe that all lives matter. So you have to take all those lives out of that equation anyway. Well, they don't. We don't have to save those lives. <laughs> That's true. Those lives That's don't true. even matter to begin with. You know, there was a story out of Australia, I believe, four babies died because they couldn't be moved to hospitals where they needed treatment because oh, of the COVID mess. And I mean, there's many, many, but you're right. And it, it kind of goes into this whole censorship issue, which I'm going to always keep coming back to, which is probably the issue of the day. You know, the biggest story out there in the world right now, I think, is the cover-up of uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, et cetera. But I think it also touches on this. The news doesn't want you to care. Therefore, it doesn't want you to know. Therefore, right. you don't hear about all the other deaths. Now, if one person were starving because of Ronald Reagan's or Donald Trump's tax cuts, there would be front page news stories about yeah. it. But if a thousand people die because they're being locked into their homes and they can't go out and make a living, it never really happened because the news won't touch it. So I think to me, it just goes back to the censorship business. Um, like I said, I think that the, that part of the Biden story um, have they gone too far? You know, supposedly the Senate is getting really angry. And I hear Ed's voice all the time of, well, are they ever going to really do anything? But now they're really angry and they're really going to subpoena somebody and they may even slap Jack Dorsey and Zuckerberg on their wrists because now it's really bad. They've gone too far. Now the DOJ is suing um, Google specifically, I believe, not just because of this, because of antitrust monopoly. My understanding is those are 10-year lawsuits if they go anywhere. So I'm not sure that they're losing too much sleep over this and the fact that Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and Hawley and a few other people in the Senate are really, really angry at them right now. Um, and I put up on our notes the Bill Whittle thing. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it about all this censorship. But he's not as crazy as some of the people I associate with and he's like, if we're at the time where tech, big tech can totally- Do you see that Ed's trying to be news? unmuted? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you see Ed's trying to be unmuted? No, I don't. He's got muted somehow. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but- Oh, I thought he was doing calisthenics. <laughs> Ed, are you back with <laughs> he us? He is. Yeah, I, I accidentally hit the mute button and it wouldn't oh. let me unmute. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> this happened to me last week in a different forum, but I won't. Yeah, I didn't realize. My husband wants one of those mute buttons. I can't, you know, I can't oblige, but. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember what I was ranting about. Yeah, but Bill Whittle basically said, if we're at the point where they can totally, totally squash such an incredible story, we're done. I don't, and, to me, I don't wear, I don't see how this is your cue that it's done. To me, it seems like a while back, it was just, Look at how bad the moderators have been. How bogusly, blatantly uh, biased. All right, I'm going to take exception. Uh, Jody, I have to take exception. Okay. I have to tell you, I sleep generally very, very well. And the other night, I found myself unable to fall asleep because I did not know what kind of milkshake Joe Biden had. <laughs> and I think that was an incredibly important revelation to the American public and probably changed how I look at the upcoming election. I, apparently you disagree. Wow. That was such I a agree. strong comment. She disappeared. <laughs> go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ed. I think the question was directed at you, Jody, but... Um... I don't think it means that we're done. 
Um, I think it is a problem, but you know, we have to remember private individuals do get to control what speech is, is allowed and not allowed. I mean, I'm in my house now, you guys reach in your respective homes. Nobody has a first amendment right to speak in your home. And you know, the same in theory really applies to all private entities, including businesses. And that's why, you know, there's a lot of dissension and debate on our side about uh, whether what the tech companies are doing is censorship. Censorship being something that is wholly within the province of government. Uh, but what we can say, you know, we can debate and we can parse whether, whether it really is censorship, but what there's no debate about is that they are opposed to the free flow of truthful information. There's no question about that. And that's really a, a huge problem. And I think this is something I, I've really been given a lot of thought to lately. I think this is something that goes back well over a hundred years. It goes back to the beginning of progressivism and, and the antitrust laws, which were enacted in 1890 or started, you know, the Sherman Act was enacted in 1890. Uh, the uh, Interstate Commerce Commission was enacted a couple of years earlier, I think 1887 or so, 1886, something like that. Um, and they were, they were enacted, those laws were enacted in response to a perception that these gigantic corporations uh, by Carnegie and Rockefeller and, and some of the other tycoons were a threat to freedom of the, in that time. And the problem then, and I think the problem now is that the focus is on bigness as opposed to the content of the ideas that are being spread. And the, the tech companies are in the, they are spreading dictatorship. They're spreading leftism. They're spreading um, an antipathy towards the free flow of information. Um, they may have the right to do that on some level, but um, what we really need to be making the case about is that they're trying to destroy the cultural value of free speech in America. And, and that cultural value is something that goes all the way back, I mean, at least to the, to the Zenger case, the John Peter Zenger libel case in 1730 something, 13, 1735, I think. Um, America has always, always embraced the robust exchange of information and, and that, and we've always had a belief culturally that the solution to bad speech or false speech is just more speech. And what these companies are doing today is diametrically opposed to that. They are trying to change the culture. And you know, on our side, we talk a lot about the need to change the culture. Well, the left and these big tech companies are changing the culture. That's what they are doing. And they're doing it for the worst, but it's, it, you know, on a certain level, it's a roadmap for us. We need to be committed to changing the culture. And in this case, defending the culture and defending, defending the, 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 not the right, but just defending the cultural value of free flowing information, true, false, or otherwise. And that's not to say that we want false fake news or false information, but it's to say that we, we as a cultural value, we, we hold the free flow of information of, 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 as a high cultural value. And we need to, to make that clear. And that needs to be made in the argument. And, you know, I think, I mean, I forgot exactly how we got off, how I got off on this tangent. But, um, you know, I, like I said, I think this goes back as far back as the beginning of progressivism, 
You know, it wasn't so much that that Rockefeller was so big. The real question that should have been asked, but wasn't asked is, well, what is he advocating? What is he for? And that's the question that needs to be asked. And that's the question that really needs to be asked of these tech companies. Because as I think that we got off on this because we're talking about suppressing the Hunter Biden story. Well, if you're going to suppress that story, that tells me who, what you're for and who you're for. And that tells me that you are not for, that tells me that you are for corruption. You're for a, a corrupt candidate. You're for fooling the American people. You're for a, a candidate whose family has enriched itself based on Joe Biden's positions in government. You're for Joe Biden having manipulated American foreign policy in order to achieve, to advance his own family's personal financial interests, and then having him brag about it. I mean, the guy is on video, even before these emails came out, he is on video, not just admitting, but bragging about the fact that he got a quid pro quo. You give us a billion, we, we won't give you this billion dollars, unless you fire the prosecutor that's going after Burisma. And then these emails only, only serve to further reinforce how awful that was by showing that Burisma reached out through Hunter to get Biden to make, the, to make that threat and that Hunter profited immensely from it. So if these companies are putting their thumb on the scale of, of suppressing this information, that's telling me that they're totally okay with this. And I, I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay um, with corruption from anybody, from e any, either side, who are Republican, Democrat, or otherwise. To me, what, what's come out about the Biden, about the Biden family is completely disqualifying to Joe Biden's candidacy. So I um, think the difficult question is, because I think I'm the most libertarian of the three of us, and I don't like government interfering in, the, in what's clearly private businesses, but is there going to be a point where if we don't, it's over? And like they say, the Constitution is not a suicide pact. We're really close to that right now. There's no way to get information across the country anymore without going through these, these companies. And by the way, if Biden wins, it may just be too late. It may be game over. We have no way of getting information out there. And as it is, there's such a polarization in what information each side gets. Um, I put up on our notes, there's a really long article in New York Times Magazine about free speech threatening democracy. And 90% of it feels like it's coming from Mars, but it's the people on the left making that exact speech you just made, scary? saying that we control the media, we control the press. It's unbelievably scary. But if we appeal to you know the culture of free speech, they're they're appealing to the exact same culture and values we are, but their information is so unbelievably different. They really, the people who read the New York Times have no clue that this story was in the New York Post. I have to tell you, among the liberals in New York City, the New York Post is considered up there with the Inquirer or less. It's an absolute rag. Nobody pays attention to it because they've done such a good job at destroying its brand. So once we lose the ability to get information across, you know, Gmail, if they want, they can stop us from emailing information. It's all the same company. Yeah, what do you want to say, Joni? Well, I was just going to say, what's the difference 
between maybe it's a platform versus publisher difference, but what's the difference between the social media platforms like Facebook and those things um, controlling the narrative versus CNN, MSNBC, and those are the things also ABC World News Tonight, MSC, N, or NBC World News, so many of the news medias are doing exactly the same thing as the social media platforms are doing, hiding information, censoring information, allowing only certain things on. I don't like it, but what is the difference, number one? And number two, the antitrust laws, I just have a question for Ed about that because in healthcare, the point of antitrust laws in healthcare was supposedly to protect the consumer and blah, blah, blah. And now we have where in order for a health provider clinic to open up, they need permission from existing health providers already. And of course that never happens. And so you get a shrunken uh, delivery market at the, at the detriment for the consumer. So under the guise of we wanna help you, the consumer, we're gonna create this antitrust law it actually has done the opposite and created more power for the delivery people. What could that happen? I mean, if we, we create antitrust laws for the social media platforms, why wouldn't that happen there also where it ultimately doesn't benefit the consumer and it ultimately benefits those who are trying to sell their product? Okay. I just wanna add one thought and then I'm gonna let Ed answer that. Is Twitter and Facebook which we use to communicate with each other, which is now blocked Seb Gorka, um, Kaylee McEnany, et cetera, that they literally cannot communicate through that medium. So is that different than me being able to call you on a good old fashioned landline telephone? And the minute I start talking about Hunter Biden's laptop, the phone company says, sorry, and hangs me up. And you, you know, you're, you're shaking yeah. your head at that. Is no, this any different than that? No, and you it's should be shaking scary. your head. Is this any different than that? At what point do we say, now, I don't I think do we that. up with that. So go ahead, Ed. Well, I mean, there's a whole lot there to chew on. Um, let me start with the whole publisher versus platform distinction. Um, Section 230 makes it irrelevant whether they're a publisher or a platform. It immunizes them from liability regardless. Um, and as you correctly note, Jody, even if they became a publisher, which MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, World News Tonight, all these, all these media companies, they are clearly publishers and they are still clearly able to have a narrative and choose what they cover, what they don't cover, who they're allowed, who they carry, who they don't carry. Um, so I don't think that, I mean, I think that Section 230 needs to be amended I think that the liability provisions are being completely abused from what they were intended to do to accomplish. But ultimately, I don't think it's a panacea because in the end, they're still going to be able to decide who can speak and who can't speak on their platform. And it'll just, you know, just like, you know, I can send a letter to the New York Times disagreeing with something that they put in and I might make a completely logical, coherent case. They don't have to publish it. I don't have any right to have it published there. And I think the same is, is true with the social media companies. And I think that it will be true even if Section 230 is modified to 
to what it properly should be and what I think it's intended to, to foster. Um, so I don't think it's going to solve the problem. It's going to solve Ed, some of the problem. I want to make, I want to make a difference between they don't have to publish your letter, but the post office has to deliver it. They can't say, gee, we caught a glimpse of Hunter Biden in the letter and we refuse to deliver. Well, but Steve, that's only because they don't right. know what's in it. Nowadays, if they knew what was in it, it we, might well that's what i'm saying we're getting we're getting to that point so yes twitter does not have to publish a news story but we're talking about kaylee mcenany wanted to send that news story to the three of us and they shut her off that to me we're getting much closer to the post office yeah and and that's why i, I tried to give the example i was given before which is that we need to stop and look at what what they're actions indicate about who they are and what they believe and stop focusing just on well it's private property and it's a private company and they can do what they want as a private company that's that's absolutely true but you know a private individual is perfectly free to advocate for communism for dictatorship and hold up signs and and you know share petitions but that doesn't mean we should just say oh well he's just exercising his first amendment rights we should be repudiating people like that. We should be repudiating these companies. And insofar as they violate any other law that's on the books, we should, we should use those laws to the best of our ability, not to the least of our ability. You know, I'm not in favor of, of antitrust law per se, but you know, the, the Department of Justice just filed a lawsuit against Google. I, I, I saw Google's response and Google responded by saying it's laughable that people are forced to use the Google browser. And I think they're probably right about that. I mean, I use DuckDuckGo as often as I can. Um, I don't think anyone's forced to use the Google, um, the Google browser, but I am all for the government and private individuals using any and every tool to defeat people and companies that are in favor of dictatorship and are using their positions to advance dictatorship. And that's what we need to be on the ball. That, that we have to keep our eyes on that ball. It's not about, you know, you're a private citizen. It's about, hey, private citizen, if you're gonna advocate for dictatorship, I'm gonna use every weapon I can to protect myself and to protect my country from what you have in store for it. Because I know you just need to get power once and I'll never get it back. And that's, you know, that's what these lockdowns are showing. You know, these lockdowns are showing that once these guys get power, they never give it up. And we have to be vigilant about it. And, but we also have to, you know, the lockdowns are, 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 you know, top down from government. This is from the other end, from the private sector. And, uh, you know, again, we just have to focus on what are these private actors advocating, not folk, and not focus so much on, well, they're private actors. I mean, you know, we, we can... You know, you can be in favor of the legalization of drugs while still condemning drug use as, a, as a, an evil thing to do because your mind is something that you need to remain, keep clear and you need to, you know, you, destroying your brain cells is a bad thing. Your mind is your key to survival and drugs alter your mind state. They alter your brain and it makes your survival less, less likely. So on the one hand, you can say, okay, well, you should have the right to do it. You know, and, and I'm not taking a position one way or the other on that. I'm just saying it's a viable position, but I think it's wrong and, and misguided at best 
to stop your position, to have your position end with drugs should be legal. I mean, without condemning drug use as a, as a bad thing. And, and likewise, you know, whether, social, whether Facebook and Twitter and, and Google have the, the right to use their property to, to slow or, or suppress the free flow of information is a completely separate issue from, is it a good thing that they are using their rights to suppress the free flow of information? And, and I think that's, that's where we need to join the argument and that's what we need to, to focus on. Okay, so I have two questions. You know, you're saying repudiate, but repudiate means speech and we don't have a, a medium on which we can speak anymore. And that's, that's the whole issue here is, is that. There's no debate. There, there right. is no debate well, because, I, okay, let me ask you a question. And I, you know, I asked the same question about the, the phone company. I'm looking to get a very, very big windfall very soon. Yeah. And I am thinking that I'm going to buy AT&T, T-Mobile, and uh, who else? And Verizon. And once that's approved by just, you know, smearing a few hands in Congress, I am no longer going to let Republicans use my phones. And you're going to say, well, we're going to fight that, but you will not have a phone system with which to fight it. You will not be able to call your anybody that you can't walk to their homes. You won't be able to talk to because I'm going to say no more Republicans and we're going to be stuck saying, well, it's a private company. He could do what he wants. So as much as I don't like government interference, is there a point beyond which? And once we hit that point, even you seem to admit there's nowhere we're going to be able to go. You know, they're going to mute right. Trump's mic next week and or this week and whether they're going to mute it just for the two minute periods or whenever they feel like it or maybe it'll just be a little malfunction they only have to get through one more debate all they need is a couple more malfunctions and that's it the president of the united states can't even talk to the people and getting on that when you think about it if his press secretary has been knocked off of twitter what would stop them a week before the election from literally saying Trump can't speak to the people because they're not going to put him on TV and they can keep him off Facebook. They can keep him off of Twitter. They can keep him off of YouTube. And that's it. Game over. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Huh? I would I'm not sorry. be surprised if that happened. Even Steve, a little I am in no way advocating the libertarian position that, well, they're private companies. We've got to leave them alone. Quite the contrary. I'm, I'm on the other side of that argument. Right. That's I, what I think. So what can we do? We should use whatever powers we can. The, there are FEC laws that otherwise I generally object to, but I think that these are in-kind contributions. And I think that the, and corporations are not allowed to give in-kind contributions or other contributions to political candidates. Now, I'm struggling with omission being an in-kind contribution, by the way. How can not do, doing something be portrayed in a court as they're, a contribution? Not, they're doing more than not doing something. when. When Facebook takes down posts and Twitter shuts down communication, that's an affirmative act. That's not just an omission, that's an affirmative act. They're acting to suppress the free flow of information. And, you know, John Adams said that, you know, our constitution is designed for a, a religious and virtue, a, a moral and religious people, and it would be of no use to any other. And we are dealing with people that are highly unvirtuous. And, you know, I'm not saying we should jettison the Constitution at all, but I am saying we have to remember it's a tool that's designed to help us protect our liberties. 
And right now, our liberties are under attack. These are people that if they get power, they are going to destroy and completely abrogate our Constitution. So we need to use all tools at our disposal. And those tools include FEC prosecutions, FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. They should be investigating whether there's a bait and switch going on because Facebook and Twitter have advertised their, their platforms as a place for a free exchange of information. You know, I generally don't approve of those of the FTC using unfair trade practices acts because they dilute the standard for fraud. Um, and we can, you know, that's a, it's a complex and technical legal discussion, but it, you know, fraud is a much more difficult thing to prove than consumer fraud or unfair trade practices. And it was designed, those, the, the latter, the, you know, unfair trade practices and, and consumer fraud statutes were enacted precisely because it was so hard to prove fraud. Um, and I think that it's a good thing that fraud is a hard thing to prove. But in this case, those laws are on the books. They apply to you, me, and, every, and everybody on our side. They damn well should apply to, to the other side. Dinesh D'Souza went to jail on, on a campaign contribution that he, he violated the law, but nobody gets prosecuted for it. Well, maybe these tech companies should be prosecuted in a way that nobody has been prosecuted before. Maybe Hillary Clinton should have been prosecuted for, for those, the, you know, the, the, the leak of her emails and the, and the uh, wiping of her hard drive. You know, Comey said that no, no, no one has ever been prosecuted for that. Well, maybe this is the first time. And we need, to, we need to use all laws and all tools on the books that are available to law enforcement to go after these people. I mean, we went after Al Capone on, on tax evasion. And, and that's exactly what we need to be doing here. It's not that, it's not that tax evasion is, some, is, the, is the worst thing that Al Capone ever did, but if that's the way we're gonna get them, that's the way we're gonna get them. And these tech companies are actively subverting the cultural value that Americans hold for free flowing information. And they need to be stopped. They need to be opposed. They need to be opposed by private citizens who, are, who withdraw from the platforms and, and create alternative platforms like Parler. But they also need to be opposed by our government acting in our interests as our servants to the best of, of, of its ability to do so. Because we are dealing with companies and, and private individuals running those companies that are not just sympathetic to totalitarianism, but are trying to bring it to us through the private sector. And we need to be able to and be willing to fight back against it. They're very successful bringing that to us through the private sector, by the way. I mean, we all see it, right? Maybe this whole um, lawsuit with Google, maybe it'll somehow be an inadvertent boon for DuckDuckGo. Maybe that's how people will start to learn more about DuckDuckGo. Silver lining. Or the other ones. Well, I, th I think, you know, the bottom line is some of, us, some of us live in states where our senators aren't going to budge. But some of us and some people listening to this live in states where senators will budge and move off the fence. And I think those people really need to be speaking with their people in Congress, both the House and the Senate, and saying this is unbelievably important. Get off your duff, back Cruz, back Lee, et cetera, et cetera. So I would definitely say that. In New York, there's really nobody to talk to. 
but I think at the very least we have to make some noise as citizens while we still can. Yes, I mean, you know, there's a lot of discussion parlor or MeWe or some of the other ones. I signed up for rumble.com. Which I don't is know like, all these. I know Parler and that's Parler, it. I don't there's like Parler. M-E-W-E. There's a big discussion M-E-W-E? going on. M-E-W-E? Yeah, well, the question is you have to pick one. And so a lot of people have moved to Parler, but a lot of people don't like Parler. They like me. I don't like it. And there's some other ones. But, you, you know, you invest so much time and energy when you pick another one. It's hard. Yeah. I just started looking at Rumble.com. I know Bongino's Rumble. on it. Devin Nunes is on it. Um, I need to be able to make big posts because, you know, uh, brevity is not my strong suit. So I need to be able to put, like, it needs to be catering to not short little tweets or posts. Right. Now, if, you know, if you don't have a tremendous staff, you can't possibly be on all of these different fora. So either you put it on one or two. It's very time consuming. Listen, to every post no, every I'm just saying there's a market there then where you can post something and all of a sudden it goes on every one of those platforms. That's Listen, your new And platform. by the way, I think there's a fantastic market for it. And I don't know that anybody- Get does. it done, Steve. Get it I, done. Let's do I'm, it. I'm not a techie, but it's a great idea because there, right now you, you just don't have the time to post things in nine different places and then monitor the comments and the back and forth. And right, right. Places. So yeah, everybody's trying, not everybody, a lot of people on the right are trying to move away from Facebook and the same thing with YouTube, but it's very, very difficult to do. And right now, Zoom is very good to us, but you know, who knows if they'll ever shut us down. Right. But I, I definitely, from Ed's rant, I think the bottom line is people really need to start calling their politicians and maybe especially now two weeks before, a week before the election, two weeks before, and say, this is the most important issue because no other issue is gonna matter if we have- Well, I'm in Illinois and my, my people are a step away from communism. So I'm not really gonna waste my Unfortunately, <laughs> It's like that in so many places. You know, I was gonna say, cause I hear people say, well, get off your, you know what, and drive up to Albany, but we're locked down in many ways. So <laughs> we may lose that as well. I think this really is the biggest issue without which nothing else is going to matter if we lose on this one. Now I'm hoping that the, just the fact that there is a lawsuit will make them back down to half of 1% and say, uh-oh, maybe they really are looking. I know Twitter lost 6% of its stock or something overnight. Um, so maybe it has a small effect. I'm not looking. I don't think it's going to have a very big effect at all. Uh, unfortunately. Um, well, go ahead. Are, are you, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to mention two other things really quickly, um, which Before sort of relate to free speech and being squashed and, and fighting the fight. I'm sure we've all heard about the beheading in Paris a couple of days ago. Oh, so, uh, so horrible. Well, again, it's all part of we are being canceled and that's being canceled in the very biggest way. Now it's only towards Islamism, but they've made it really, really clear. That is one place you cannot touch. You can come out and say Jews can't make a wedding, but no one has said that Muslims can't go into a mosque. And what they've succeeded in Paris in doing is reminding people five years after Charlie Hebdo that we're still here and you gotta be careful with what you do. And Thank God that hasn't yet really, well, I won't say it hasn't come here because if you remember when Pamela Geller was doing something in Texas a bunch of years ago, 
um, around those um, cartoons of Muhammad, there was a shooting. I can't remember if anybody got hurt or if it was stopped, but there was a shooting. So I can't say- Bosch Faustin was the winner of the the Draw Muhammad contest. And the the, uh, security guards shot the terrorists who came to the who came to try and kill Bosch and Pam Feller, Pam right. Geller. So I can't say it hasn't come here. I guess it hasn't come here nearly as bad, and that's a big deal. And there's an international case. I don't know if you've heard about it, and I generally don't talk about issues out of the country. But to me, it speaks to the idea of if you're in a war, do you fight differently than if you're at peace, and where is that line to be drawn? So I don't know if you've heard about what's going on in Israel with Saeed Barakat. And if you know what I'm talking about. So he's a, uh, like the second in command of the Palestinian Authority, AKA the PLO. We're all old enough to know when they were straight up a terrorist organization, they kind of invented terrorism to a big extent and they still pay terrorists who murder people. And Israel has now taken him into their leading hospital. And the big fight in Israel is, what are we doing here? This guy's actively paying terrorists who murder us and we're taking care of him versus, well, we're good Christians and good Jews and we have to look the other way and everybody's gonna love us if we do this. And I think where it plays into our issue is in a normal world, you say certain rules, but at a certain point when people have a knife to your throat, do you have other rules? And is high tech a knife to our throat? Where, where, where is that line? And in Israel right now, because of that hospitalization, many of us think they've crossed that line. Actually taking care of people trying to kill you, even though he's not actively shooting somebody, but he's actively supporting people who are. So I, again, I wonder where is that line? Because that line is coming here. The line has come in many other places. Okay, so you just said something though that made me think of, what's happening here. So you said he's not actively shooting people, but he's supporting people who are. Therefore, ergo, he's evil. And I don't know all the nuances. I only know a fringe of this topic. But that's exactly what the left thinks of the right right now. Like if you support Trump, mm-hmm. maybe you're not a bad person, but you support a bad person. Therefore, ergo, you need to be silenced or harmed or something. That's happened. That's that kind of thinking and thought. I'm not suggesting in any way that this guy isn't legit evil. And I don't, it's a really big moral question. I don't have an answer to, but, um, and even on that with the, the earlier when we, well, when you're supporting people who are, you know, rallying for dictatorship, the left thinks that the right is rallying for dictatorship. The left thinks a lot of the same things we think. It's just that we're actually right and fact-based and they're hysteria and emotion-based. I don't have to tell you, there are many people on the left who literally believe Trump is worse than Hitler. Yeah, and, and I know. Literally. And no. I think that goes you know, to that New York Magazine article on free speech. It also speaks to the S word. Once again, if this country does not break up peacefully, how do you coexist And like you say, they think we are legitimately supporting Hitler and we think they're legitimately supporting Stalin. So I I actually have come to think that that's the impetus for all of this evil stuff that they do. In their mind, they think, what would you have done in the face of Hitler? Would you have committed acts of atrocity to stop Hitler in his tracks? I think that's what they think. So they justify their egregious assaults on morality 
and truth and uh, with that in their head. But, but, but this is Hitler we're dealing with. I think of we all saw that video of that poor black guy had his teeth knocked out the other night. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I mean, yeah, anything goes because they are fighting literally Hitler. And that yeah. goes, to me, that goes to the flow of information. Yeah. But I don't know how you coexist as a society. They literally believe we are supporting Hitler. Yes, they do. Can I just say before we, so Ed and you guys can both correct me if I'm wrong, but like Hitler was promising big government stuff like healthcare and cars and stuff when they were at a struggled economy in the beginning. Hitler was promising the big government free stuff. Hitler was taking guns away from the exact group that he wanted to oppress, right? The Jews. Um, the Nazis who supported Hitler were narking on their neighbors to the authorities, right? So just, just taking those four things into account, who's acting like Nazis with Hitler? It's not our side. Well, I think you're asking, do they have any factual basis for saying Trump is a dictator? Yes, this is, I no. haven't, I haven't seen saying, one, but yes. I, don't, I don't know how they get away with that lie. I have no Listen, idea what they base it on. It's like Ed said, if they're making an accusation, it's really, um, uh, uh, What's confession. the word? Chaos, the confessions. Because if you're going to make that, if you're going to make that accusation against us, and then I'm going to say, well, wait a minute, what did Hitler and the, the Nazi sympathizers, what did they actually do? Oh, wait, you're doing those things, huh? Well, by the I way, the irony is... But I'm just saying, if you're going to make the accusation, let's look at the facts. The irony is, because they have proven conclusively to their people that Trump is owned by Putin, and they went from 2012, where they said, you're going back to the foreign policy of the 80s and Russia's not a threat, ha ha, to Russia's the biggest threat in the world and Trump works for them. Now, how they did that switch, 1984-like, between Russia not being a threat at all, being mm -hmm. laughable, to being laughable. the biggest threat in the, in the yeah. world, that was brilliant. But once right. they pulled that off, if he really is in bed with Putin, that's a problem. It's a problem for us on the right as well. And they really believe this because it's, pushed out on them every single day, even now. Hunter Biden's laptop was hacked into. All of these pictures and emails were put in. It was by not hacked. No, Steve, stop. It was no, not stop. hacked. You didn't hear what I said. Wait, you didn't hear what I said. Okay. The Russians hacked into it and filled it with all of those emails and filled it with all of those pictures and dropped it off at the repair place. OK, mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. And they have people in this country believing that right now. Hunter Biden never did anything on that MacBook except for play games. And Russia put all that stuff on it and they did it to help Trump because for some reason, Russia wants Trump. So once you believe that kind of caca, yeah, you would be against Trump, too. And I don't well, see a way to bridge those gaps. Go ahead. Well, Ed. Here's how to bridge those gaps. How about Bill Barr start some criminal prosecutions? How about you start perp walking some of these people out? How about, how about Hunter Biden be arrested? I mean, I, I don't want to call for, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know, you know, I don't have the evidence in front of me, but how about some people be arrested and charged with bribery, with espionage, with failing to register as a foreign agent? Uh, there are a whole bunch of crimes that are on the table and this is not something that just happened. I mean, it just happened you know, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani was given the, the information over the summer. Um, but again, why did it wait 
even a couple of weeks, let alone a couple of months to come out. I mean, I think the Trump administration, the Trump campaign is being way too cute about things. You know, the Durham report, where is it? Where are the indictments? By the you way, know, you know, heard- when Biden made his famous son of a bitch appearance, how did that ever get passed over? That should have been, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, special counselor, we need to look at what happened there when he bragged about it. And except for us nuts on the right, nobody even cared about that. Right. But you know what? That happened in 2019. Who was president? Trump was president. I, I agree with you. And, and you want to know why it, 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 they get away with it? Well, where is our guy to do something about it? And, mm-hmm. and I love Trump. I think he's done a, a lot of great things, but he's dropped the ball on some things too. And this is one of them. Well, Trump can't prosecute people. And all, the only thing he can do Trump that I think he can do is fire Bill Barr. And I, if he fires Bill Barr, I don't know if he'll survive it. So it's very sad. He is powerless. Well, I, don't, I don't agree at all that he's powerless. And I don't agree that Bill Barr wouldn't prosecute if he was told to prosecute. I mean, Trump, Trump said a couple of weeks ago that, uh, he, that they have the 33,000 emails that Hillary supposedly wiped from her server. And apparently they were not going to be released until after the election. And Trump said, well, I'm going to be really pissed off about that, or I've already said it. And then the next day, uh, I think it was Pompeo or uh, I forget who, a couple of people that have access to those emails and are in the process of declassifying them said, oh, no, no, we'll get them out before the election. Well, as we record this podcast, we're 13 days from the election. We still don't have them. But somebody tweeted why 13 days or 10 days before? Why did we have to have it before the election? This is something that should have been, should have been released can, a year listen, ago. Somebody tweeted out today, and I wasn't able to see exactly what they were tweeting, but it was to the effect of somebody in that mess of people who were supposed to actually release it, basically saying no. And once again, just holding it up. And what is Trump supposed to do? Walk over to the State Department and give them to whom? Well, they just Trump refused is not supposed to, to micromanage every executive department but when you're talking about things that are of this magnitude, he is supposed to micromanage. He is supposed to take charge. And, you know, the, the Hunter Biden computer was given to the FBI last December of 2019. OK, maybe Trump didn't know it because the FBI suppressed it. But but God damn it, that thing that became publicly known. And Trump certainly knew that the FBI had it by the by the summer when when the when the computer store owner gave the duplicate copy to Rudy Giuliani. And why isn't Christopher Ray? why isn't his head on a platter? Why isn't the FBI being held to account for sitting on that evidence and not and doing they anything? And on it throughout impeachment. And now black conservative patriot, and he doesn't use his name, so I have to refer to him as that in his podcast, which I like a lot. He actually is wondering out loud if the reason Nancy Pelosi did not move on impeachment for those few weeks in between December and January of last year was because she knew the FBI had this and was wondering if it was going to come out and had it come out, there would have been no impeachment. And I don't know if that's tinfoil hat or not, but clearly the FBI knew while they were impeaching Trump for saying go after Biden's corruption, the FBI knew a lot more about that corruption and hid it on purpose. So yeah, why Ray's head is not on a... Platter, I have no clue. 
Doesn't it not, it seems like Trump's personality to get that job done. Of, okay. uh, I mean, how, I do like, get the jo- how does he get wait, the job done? He so picks I'm just, and- that's why I'm saying like his personality does not strike me as somebody who would just back off. Or, like he's an aggressive kind of guy, right. but there's five especially layers. on something like that. So there's got to be another reason. I don't know. There's five layers between him and the person actually handing over the emails. He doesn't call up the guy handing over the emails. He calls up Bill Barr. Bill Barr calls up the head of justice. Justice calls up the head of this. They call up the head of that. And that guy says, well, my secretary's gone for the week. So it sits for a week, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And that's what happens. And what's Trump going to do? Unless he's willing to fire everybody down the chain, which I think he should. I think the minute you go against the direct order of do it now, you should be, you should be fired. I, I, I know this is where Ed and I disagree, one of the few places. I think he's powerless unless he's going to fire every single one of them. Even if he doesn't want to fire every single one of them, Steve, how about, I mean, he, he can have a daily press briefing on coronavirus, but he can't have a daily press briefing on treason, on treason within the Democratic Party at the highest levels. Why not? Why can't, I mean, the guy's got a Twitter account. How about not you start long. about it? Actually, he, I don't know how much of a Twitter account he'd have. If they shut the press secretaries, why would they not shut his? Okay, but you know what? If, he, if they shut him down over that, that's another way that the story is going to get out. The New York Post might publish it. Somebody else might publish it. There are venues for him to publish it and get the word out. He, he needs to do something. He needs to stop complaining that his underlings are not doing what he wants them to do. I believe he's doing, doing a little bit more recently, I think. Um, at least there's hints of it. I don't have time to follow everything. I think he is making more noise, but I know I agree. We have to start wrapping up. So if anybody wants to uh, make a closing argument or closing thoughts, Ed. Um, I I think we covered a a lot of ground this week. Um, I think that the Hunter Biden email story, the computer, you know, the hard drive story is, is a gigantic issue. I think, I think that the FBI suppression of that, information is even a bigger issue, um, which is what we were getting at towards the very end. I thought, I thought we were going to talk a little more about that. Um, but to me, it's, it's completely disqualifying for Joe Biden as, as the president. I think he clearly lied to the American people. Uh, the emails, among other things, reveal that you know, he's the, the, the big guy who was getting paid off through Hunter. Um, he doesn't belong in the White House. He belongs in the big house. And I think that I think that this is a, a gigantic story. And in, in any sane and fair and reasonable election, this would be completely disqualifying, even for Democrats. And the fact that they're not that no Democrat has come out against him tells me that the Democrat Party is an enemy of the United States of America and that we need to treat them accordingly. And they are certainly treating us accordingly. They treat us as enemies of the United yeah. States of America. And it's time, it's time that we call a spade a spade and recognize them for what they are. What, what this Hunter Biden thing reveals, I mean, to me, it was revealed by the Hillary Clinton's email scandal because there's no reason why a secretary of state should have a private server in her home. And as a lawyer, and Hillary Clinton is a lawyer, and Bill Clinton is a lawyer, there is absolutely no excuse whatsoever for for scrubbing a hard drive that is under scrubbing the emails off a hard drive when they're under subpoena and you know it, that is, that is board, that is borderline criminal in just a garden variety civil case. 
But in this kind of uh, government case, that was that is cl- to me clearly a criminal act, no ma- notwithstanding what James Comey said. And but this is even worse. And you know we have evidence that Joe Biden is making money through Hunter, and that you know Hunt, one of Hunter's emails says that his dad was taking fifty percent cut, a fifty percent cut on everything that Hunter was making. So Joe Biden is is not only lying to the American people, he's being bribed and paid off in, in, order, in, in order for foreign entities to manipulate him and, use, and, and buy influence with him. This is completely disqualifying. In a sane election, Biden would not win a single state, and that includes Delaware, that includes Pennsylvania, that includes any place he thinks that he's from. Um, and you know, <laughs> if... if um, you know, if, if the Democrat Party wants to s- line up behind him and stand with him, well, that's a limb that we need to be ready to saw off, period. I just want to mention when you talk about Hillary and her server, you know, it's pretty much out there that all of Mueller's crew wiped all their cell phones of all their text messages. And that's right. And they got away with it. And like you say, in Crazy. the world, how in the, I mean, how in the world? Do you get away with this kind of stuff? It, it well, the Trump Justice Department needs to do something about it. That's what needs to happen. I agree. I'm too late, maybe. For Attorney General. Oh, yeah. Would you take it, Ed? Uh, it depends on who the president is. If Trump wins, because before I waste the stamp, I uh, want to know if you'd accept. If Trump wins, yes, I would take that job and I would prosecute every one of those bastards. There we go. Okay, we're going to start a campaign. Oh, Jody, you get the <laughs> final word. I just wanted to bring up uh, yesterday, the Bureau of Labor came out with this, the state's um, unemployment numbers. And not surprisingly, eight of the 10 worst unemployment numbers are in Democrat run states. And then you add to that GDP growth has been worse last numbers. I haven't seen uh, third quarter, but GDP growth is worse in Democrat states. COVID deaths per 100,000 worse in Democrat states. Supplemental poverty rate is worse in Democrat-run states. Uh, Violence is worse in Democrat-run cities. And so I just wanted to close with that, with this quote that, okay, I saw it on Facebook. It said it was Ronald Reagan. I haven't double-checked that. So whoever said it, whether it was Ronald Reagan or what, it fits so perfectly with that information. It says, you can't be for big government, big taxes, and big bureaucracy and still be for the little guy. And if the facts don't support that quote, I don't know what does. Well, I gotta tell you, it makes you really, you know, like we're saying before, it's so frustrating. There's two groups in this country that will vote overwhelmingly overwhelmingly Democrat. And those are blacks and Jews. I identify as one of those. And you, you wanna shake them and say, what are you not seeing? This is all yeah. Democrat states and- Crazy. Like Kim Klasik, et cetera. What they don't know. They don't know. Well, they don't know. The media won't shine that spotlight. The media will completely destroy the, the reality. It's so bizarre. I mean, nobody has done more for the black community than Trump. I don't know anybody can well, against that. And if a black comes out in favor of Trump, they get. The bizarre thing is, I live in Illinois, and it's everyone knows it's a terribly run state, and yet they continue to vote for Democrats. It's just it, that is, you don't need the media to tell you when your state is being driven into the ground, you kind of know it when you live there, and yet you vote for the same party promising the same- Nothing more than Chicago. Derelict stuff over and over and over and over. It's bizarre. 
In Chicago, it doesn't matter what happens there, they will vote a Democrat mayor in time after It's time. bizarre. It's just bizarre. It is bizarre. All righty. Thanks. Thank you very much, Ed. Thank you very much, Jody. This will be up on SoundCloud and iTunes, hopefully within an hour or two. And we look forward to seeing y'all same time, four o'clock next Wednesday afternoon. Take Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.